0: and take your seats. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Continuing our study here through the book of Luke. Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do verses 18 through 35 today. 18 through 35. And let's do the smart thing and have a quick word of prayer. Father God, it's good to be out here today. Just uh, good to see the fellowship and just uh, have this time to come together to hear what you have to say. And as always, Lord, we pray that you would teach, we would listen, that your spirit guide and direct in all. In your name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 7, hopefully verses 18 through 35. Now. A little bit of background here. The main emphasis of what we're talking about today is John the Baptist. Not necessarily who John the Baptist was. We covered that earlier back in the book of Luke. But a situation going on with John the Baptist. If you remember correctly, John the Baptist was quite the guy. At the beginning of the book of Luke, John the Baptist was the one that the Lord used to really prepare the ministry for Jesus to come. As we've said earlier, John the Baptist kind of had the first megachurch. People lined up to come hear what he had to say, but God had put such a spirit of humbleness in John the Baptist that John the Baptist could have easily taken that ran with it and created his own ministry if you will, almost his own kingdom if you will but John the Baptist's sole purpose was to keep pointing people towards Jesus John came out and said I'm not even worthy to unstrap his sandal John came out when Jesus wanted to be baptized and John said you want me to baptize you you should be baptizing me He had this humbleness about him. Well, what happened was as John's ministry grew and John's, if you will, his uh, vocalness and people listening to him grew, he started making a comment about the rulership, the leadership at that time, which then put him in prison. And so John the Baptist was in prison. Now, we know eventually what happened to him. John the Baptist is eventually martyred and beheaded. So at this point here in Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist is in prison for some of the things that he said politically. And so now he's in prison. So we're to this point here in verse 18. It says, Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Don't overlook what John's asking. John is asking Jesus, Are are you really the Messiah? Are, Are you really the one God sent? This is just a guy who not that long ago proclaimed vividly that Jesus was the Messiah. This was a guy not that long ago that was saying, this is the one that God sent. John is now sitting in prison having a few doubts. This is something we never talk about in church because we can't talk about this. We can't talk about having doubt because we all have to put on a great spiritual picture here that we got it all figured out. None of us have any questions and God's always in control and God's always good and none of us ever doubt what He's doing. That's what we like to present. I can remember when I first got saved and it was a few months after I first got saved. We were meeting in the uh, white building there which is now the library in Hamler. Uh, Pastor Krager was the pastor. And I can remember walking out of church and and Jim was there talking to someone. He was talking to someone who was uh, fairly new to the church and uh, Jim was witnessing to him, kind of tell him about the Lord. And so Jim saw me walk out. Jim grabbed me and he said, hey, James. He goes, I'm talking to so-and-so here. He's kind of new to everything. And he says to this guy, he goes, hey, James just got saved here a few months ago. And he goes, James, tell him, tell him what it's been like since you got saved. Now I did. I just got saved a few months before that. And as I got saved a few months before that, my life had really went to a dark place. It had. To the point of where I was thinking it was almost easier being unsaved and it is being saved. When you get saved, we always present this sunshine and roses thing and bluebirds come sit on your shoulder and sing and it's just great. The truth of the matter is when you first get saved, all of a sudden there's this lifestyle that you're looking at saying, wow, Lord, you're perfect, I'm not. And there's things I want to change in my life. There's things I want to see different. And I was really at a dark spot in the sense of friendships that one time were close were no longer close. There was a lot of things going on in life that were just kind of dark and I was having these moments of, Lord, is it worth it? So Jim sets me up. You just got saved. Tell them how great it is. So you know what I did? Oh, man, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Jesus is wonderful. Got saved a few months ago. My life has been wonderful and perfect ever since. That's what we do. Same thing still happens today. We go up to people. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. God's doing amazing things. I do a generic little statement. So the Lord's doing good. It's really neat to see what God's doing. We don't ever want to publicly admit struggling. I'm having doubt. I'm praying about things, and and I'm not hearing the answers like I wanted to. I've given the Lord these situations, and things aren't being worked out. I, I don't know why these things are happening to me. I don't know why these things are happening to my loved ones. I don't know what's going on. See, John the Baptist, he's honest. He sends right to Jesus, are you the guy? Or do I need to be looking for somebody else? I don't want to add to scriptures, but don't you think there's a little bit in the back of John's mind saying, okay, if Jesus really is the Messiah, why isn't he getting me out of prison? I baptized this guy? I gave years of my life over to presenting him in the coming Messiah, and now he's letting me sit here and rot in prison? Haven't you had those spiritual moments? If God is such a God of love, why isn't he doing something in my life? We have moments of doubt. Peter, when he was walking on the water... He was doing fine until he looked at the waves and all of a sudden he had doubt and he sank. And Jesus reached out his hand and said, Why did you doubt? Paul came out and said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he goes, When we're faithless, he remains faithful. I'm so appreciative of that. In my moments of doubt and my moments of concern, God still remains faithful. Even after Jesus rose from the dead. In Matthew 28 and Luke 24, it says that some of the disciples had doubt in their hearts. They still had a hard time saying, Wait a second, this guy died and three days later rose we always have moments of some doubt and some darkness now the question is what do you do in those moments of doubt so john's coming and asking jesus are you the guy? What's Christ's response. Verse 21. In that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because I may. The way Jesus answers, he answers by saying, My actions are my answer. See, what Jesus says in verse 22 is really just fulfillment of prophecy given back in Isaiah 35. It says, tell John the blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk. John would have known that's all fulfillment of Isaiah 35, that only the Messiah could do this. Jesus didn't say, hold on, hold on, guys. Let me do a quick little trick for you right now just to prove everything. Jesus says, my actions, what I've been doing here, prove who I am. Then he throws this verse 23 in there. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. That word offended is an interesting word and it has many different verses and and used in many different ways. When you look at this verse right here, it's carrying this idea of blessed is he who is not um, angry because of me. Blessed is he who does not distrust because of me. What does that mean? I've met a lot of people that are offended by Jesus. See, what happens is they start coming out to church. They have life situations that pop up. And so situations pop and they say, what do we do? Hey, why don't you pray about that? Okay. So they pray about it. And guess what happens in that life situation? Nothing changes. The marriage all of a sudden doesn't get better. Uh, the health of their friend doesn't get better. All of a sudden their finances are still a wreck. Instead of getting the job, they lose the job. So they sit here and they say, this is what it's all about. This is the answered prayer of Jesus. And what happens is they get offended because of Christ. They're the ones that say, well, I prayed and nothing happened, so what I quit. What Jesus is trying to tell John is, listen, just because you're in jail, just because you're in prison, and just because your life is difficult, don't give up on it. Don't give up on who I am. He says, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the deaf are hearing, the dead are being raised. He goes, I am moving and working, even though you may not see. Now, you've got to remember that, because the truth of the matter is, there's going to be times in your life. For when you pray, it's going to be just like that. Hour. There's also going to be times in life where you pray, you're going to hear crickets chirping. We're going to talk here in a little bit. I believe it's this coming Wednesday. We're doing a study through Daniel. Last week in Daniel, Daniel prayed for answers. and He got an immediate answer. The next chapter in Daniel, Daniel prays for answer, and the Bible says it took him three weeks to get an answer. It's the same guy praying. It's the same God answering. Sometimes the Lord allows time to happen for those answers to come. And what happens is when our prayers don't get answered immediately, when the situations don't work out exactly the way we want, we get offended. We get angry. We get upset. Oh, boy, that's difficult. That's difficult to be around. That's difficult sometimes to be in the middle of it. I tell you, there's a verse I've really been clinging to a lot lately. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That phrase really has been hitting me. Lean not on your own understanding. See, here's the problem. I have A lot of understanding so when I pray and I look at a situation. I think the best answer is this I like my wisdom. I think i'm a pretty smart guy So when i'm praying i'm actually telling the lord. Well, I should probably do this This is good So i'm leaning on my own understanding and I just assume that god's going to realize he made me smart And i'm just going to assume that god's going to agree with me So when god and I have difficulties, it's because god doesn't trust my wisdom And he's told me out throughout the Bible, don't lean on your own understanding. Just just honestly look at your prayer life sometimes. How many times do we do this? Lord, there's this great opportunity at work. It's a really great job opportunity. I pray you would just bless it and work it out. Now, who said it was a great job opportunity? Why did? Because I leaned on my own understanding. Lord, there, there's this this house available. Lord, there's this car available. There's this girl I want to date. This is the perfect thing for me. Well, who said it's the perfect thing for you? Well, I did because I leaned on my own understanding. And what I'm trying to do in my walk now is just to keep my wisdom out of it. Lord, here's the situation I ask for your will to be done. Now, I'll pray sometimes, Lord, and my flesh. I want this. The Lord and the Spirit, I want what you want. Just ask yourself, are you leaning on your own understanding? And as you lean on your own understanding, your prayers don't get answered the way you want. So then you get offended at Jesus because he didn't do what you want. you got to be careful about that. Jesus goes on in verse 24. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to seek? A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in kings' courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of a woman, of women, excuse me, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jump ahead to verse 28. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Put that on your resume. That is a great compliment from God himself. That's huge. John the Baptist is the greatest prophet born of a woman. See, when I hear a statement like that from Jesus, it makes me want to go back and study out John's life to say, what was John doing that Jesus was so impressed with that I should be doing in my own life? And really, the answer is very, very simple. John's entire ministry was what? Pointing people towards Jesus. That's all John did. And because of that, Jesus says he's the greatest prophet ever born of a woman. You can go to most secular bookstores. You can probably go to most Christian bookstores and find many books that teach you how to be successful. Wouldn't it be funny if one of those books just had one page and just said point people towards Jesus and you'll be successful? That's how God determines success. Are you pointing people towards me? That is what success is. Now, according to the world, that's not success. The world Great success, very simply put, is how many square foot do you have? How much money do you make? What type of cars do you have. It, There's nothing wrong with being blessed in what you do. I want to make that clear. But at the same time, spiritual success is based on pointing people towards Christ. That's why John the Baptist was the greatest prophet born of a woman, because his sole purpose was I pointed people towards Jesus. Now, how did he do it? Go back to verse 24. First off, he was out in the wilderness. want to be great like John the Baptist, point people towards Jesus, you have to be willing to go in the wilderness. I tell you right now, not many people want to go in the wilderness. Wilderness is tough. Wilderness means it's just you and God. Everything else has been stripped from you. It's just you and God. See, a lot of times we say, Lord, I want to point people towards you by having a nice house in the suburbs with a good family that when people come and say, wow, you're really blessed, that way I can say, I'm blessed because of what Jesus did. See, that's the way I want to witness As people are impressed with my wife and my kids and, and what I have, and then I'll use that and I'll point all the glory towards you. That sounds good. But if you look throughout the Bible, most of the times, the way God uses men and women, He says, I want to strip you of everything but me and then still give me the glory. That's being in the wilderness. I tell you, the first step to being used by God sometimes is being in the wilderness. That's where a lot of us stop right there and say, No, I can't. It's just you and God. I say, I love my wife. I joke about her a lot. Absolutely love her. Uh, we've been married over 16 years, and the thing that I've realized in our marriage is very simple is it's not about her and me, it's about me and the Lord, and her and the Lord. When, when I'm strong in my relationship with Christ and she's strong with her in relationship with Christ, the side effect, that is, we're strong in our marriage towards each other. See, a lot of times I see people putting a lot of emphasis into each other. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's the Lord that is the foundation of my life. Dawn, I've shared with you many times before, she brings me a lot of happiness and joy in life. But it's the Lord that's the joy of my life. Christ is the foundation of my life. So if I really want my marriage to be stronger and better, I spend more time with Jesus. And hopefully she spends more time with Jesus. Then we're both blessed by that, which then makes the marriage stronger, which then makes the family stronger. Because it's God and me. That's the wilderness. It's just God and me. How many times have you gone through a wilderness time in life and you got really disappointed because no one was there for you? Well, that's the wilderness. No one is there for you. It's just you and God. Go to the next one. A reed shaken by the wind. A reed shaken by the wind gives this picture of something unstable, something flopping to and fro. That's not John. John was strong. See, the next step is if you want to be used by God, you've got to be strong. Ministry is not for the faint-hearted. great verse in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 3, before God uses Ezekiel, he says, i got to make your head hard like stone. Because people are going to say things about you. People are going to reject you. And what happens a lot of times we say, God, I want to be used by you. Then we go out and we get attacked. And then we cower back. Oh, you gotta be tough. You gotta be tough in the Lord. John was willing to be tough in the Lord. Look at the next one, verse 25. Man clothed in soft garments? No. John, the Bible says, wore camels here, ate locusts with honey. There has to be sacrifice in your life. Ministry is not the soft, comfy garments. Ministry is sacrifice. Sacrifice of your time, sacrifice of your energy, and sacrifice of your desire. Now this is not the greatest pep talk I could be giving. This is honesty. If you want to be used by the Lord, there's going to be wilderness times. You've got to be tough in the Lord. And you have to accept the fact there's going to be sacrifices in your life. There is. And that's what John was willing to do. And because of that, verse 26, he was a prophet. Now, most of the time when we think of prophets, we always think of foretelling of the future. And that's, that's prophecy, yes. But a prophet literally means someone who speaks forth for God. See, John was a prophet. Because he was willing to speak forth for God. Now, you think that would be the easiest one. I find sometimes that's the hardest one. Because sometimes I don't want to speak forth for God. I want to speak forth for James. goes back to my first point. James has a lot of wisdom, I think, sometimes. And I think sometimes that wisdom needs to be shared. So when I'm talking to someone, it's like, you know what? Let's share the wisdom of James. We, no, 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 we don't need to hear that. Lean not on your own understanding. Think about that. When you're encouraging someone and helping someone, often do you say, well, let me tell you what I think. Let me tell you what I've been through. Let me tell you what I think you should do. Now, let's just try to stick to Scripture. Scripture works so much better. See, here's the thing. Sometimes the wisdom of James does not line up wisdom of God. We had a situation out here years ago. There was a sweet gal, and what happened was that she got um, married, and she got saved after she got married. She married a bum of a guy. I mean, just a real bum of a guy. And so she's walking with the Lord, and she's trying to do what's right. She's trying to do First Corinthians 7. She's trying to do First Peter 3. She's trying to be a light and a witness and really impact her husband. She's really trying. And as she is really trying to be a light and a witness to, to her husband here in the situation that she was in. The husband just kept being more of a bum of a guy. And it just kind of almost reached this breaking point of where she called one time, and we had her talking to Betsy, we had her talking to other people, and... and you kind of reached this point of just where she would call and you would hear the next stupid thing this guy did. And the wisdom of James sometimes wanted to say, just forget him. Just just, just seriously, God has got you. You're a sweet gal. God has really can use you. Just just start over. And it's like, wait a second. That's not the wisdom of the word. That's the wisdom of James. A lot of times when I'm doing counseling with someone, they come and say, this person did this to me. This person has said this to me. This person has hurt me like this. The wisdom of James is, well, you go hurt them back. You know what? Forget that whole turn the other cheek thing. You go hurt them back. Well, that's the wisdom of James. Sometimes that's a little more fun, but the wisdom of God is more right on. See, being a prophet in verse 26. John's going to speak what God says to speak. That's actually not as easy to sound like it is. We need to speak forth for the Lord. Once again, what made John so successful? Verse 27, he prepared the way for people to meet Jesus. Wow. That's the definition of success in God's eyes is how many people are you pointing towards Jesus? Pointing people towards Christ. That's what it all comes down to. It's heaven and hell. It's eternity. We want to make an impact for that. But did everybody accept what John had to say? Of course not, verse 29. When all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Very simply put, all those heathen sinners, oh boy, they like John. John met them where they were at, and John gave them the baptism of repentance and pointed them towards Christ. Now the religious leaders of the day, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes. They didn't go over that. Same thing still happens today. I was just reading in devotions the other day about uh, to whom much has been forgiven, how much more they love. I've noticed those people that sometimes had the most sordid past, why their relationship with Christ can be so strong because they realize what God brought them out of. See, verse 29, those tax collectors, those sinners, boy, they met Jesus through John. They thought the world of John. The religious leaders of verse 30 that had it all figured out, they could care less about John. didn't need him. When they really they needed him more than ever. What does Jesus say about those people? Verse thirty one. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation? what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned for you and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he is a demon. The son of a man has come eating and drinking, you say, Look, a glutton, a winebibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, the wisdom is justified by all our children. But Jesus says that you guys aren't going to be happy. Yeah, you didn't like John because he's too weird. He wore the camels here. He ate locusts with honey. He lived out in the wilderness. Okay, you didn't like him because he's weird. Now i come to you, and I'm with you. I have meals with you i fellowship with you and you tell me i'm a glutton and a drunk whatever we do you're not going to be happy with verse 32 you want me to play a fun song for you i play a fun song but you don't dance okay you want a sad song i play a sad song for you but you don't weep he goes you're never going to be happy ever met people that just aren't going to be happy oh my goodness you try to spend so much time with them trying to tell them the good things and what the lord has done etc it goes back to that point up at the beginning how did jesus answer john go tell John what you've seen. When I have somebody come to me and they're struggling with doubts, what I like to do is, if I know them well enough to say, hey, let's just think here for a second. Remember a few years ago when you struggled with this and we prayed about and how God answered? Yeah. Remember a couple years ago when you were going through this tough time and you called me and asked for prayer and we prayed and God answered? Yeah. You try to point them back to what God has done in their lives. But the problem is, you run into some people that are like verses 31, 32, 33, and 34. No matter what you say, just not going to be happy. or are not. Our two-year-old at home gets like that. Don't we do the same thing as adults. We have a little spiritual two year old. to see fit. We're just never happy with what God does. Laden, our two year old, when he gets like this, he just sometimes just gets nothing makes him happy. Maybe he's had a bad nap day. Maybe things aren't going right. So you say, Layden, do you want to go play? No, I don't want to play. He sits there and he fusses. Layden, you want to go get something to eat? No, I don't want to get something to eat. So after a while, we say, You know what, Layden? Take your blanket and go lay down on your bed. And then we tell them Ephesians, the verse that we use is Ephesians chapter five, where it says, you Need to have a happy heart. Layden, when you have a happy heart in Jesus, come out. Until you have a happy heart in Jesus, you stand your bed with your blanket until you're ready to come out. Sometimes I want to do that to adults. Sometimes I want to tell you guys, Go get your blanket and go sit on your bed. Come out when you have a happy heart in Jesus, because we do the same thing. We're just not happy with life. God never answers my prayers. He never does anything in my life. My life is just miserable. I got the worst life. Oh, go take your blanket and go sit down for a while. Get a happy heart with Jesus. See, what Jesus is saying here is, you guys just aren't ever happy. No matter what you do, you're just not going to be happy. Now, note what Jesus does. He doesn't try to convince them. See, I used to do that. When somebody comes to me with that little woe is me stuff, I used to sit there and say, oh, now come on, and then I realized, no, this is a heart issue. That heart issue is between them and the Lord, and they need to find joy and purpose in Christ. And when they find joy and purpose in Christ, they will then have joy in their life. Until that time happens, there's nothing I can say to convince them of anything else. If they want to sit there and stew and be in a little bad mood, they're going to sit there and stew and be in a bad mood. I can pray for you and give you scriptures. That's the best I can do. Because it's a choice you are making to not seek the Lord and the joy that He's. He now, sometimes people say, but you don't know what I'm going through. Listen, we all go through difficult times, and I'm not trying to say my life is worse than yours or your life is worse than mine. It's not a comparison party. But whatever difficulties you face in your life or whatever difficulties I face in my life, the same Holy Spirit is there to give you strength. And that's what God does. Note how Jesus decides to respond to this. Verse 35. Wisdom is justified by all our children. That's his response to this. Wisdom is justified by all our children. Let's build on that. Let's see what this means. If you will, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. This is our final point here, this idea of what is this wisdom that is justified by all our children. We're going to be 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to start it here in verse 26. Now, before we get to the wisdom verse, which is here at the end of this passage, God sets this up by describing you and I. Verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 1. For you see your calling, brethren, this is us, we're called. What's our calling? And not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing things that are. Now if you didn't catch that, this is the description God has of you in me. Verse 26. We're not wise. We're not mighty. We're not noble. Verse 27, we're foolish. We're shameful. We're weak. And verse 28, we're debased. That's how your loving, heavenly Father, Savior sees you as. You are weak, not noble, not mighty, foolish, debased, not wise. And to be honest, that's probably the best description I've ever heard of myself. The key point, though, is found in verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. See, he chose Just this, he chose us. Now, when we look in the mirror of life, we don't think we look that bad. I mean, we're on the top of the food chain down here. But from a spiritual perspective, we are this mess of sin. And Jesus said, I will still die on the cross for them. I'll still do it. Why? So that no flesh should glory in his presence. See, I still run into people every now and then. It's like, I know why God saved me. Why? Because God knew my personality be really good to witness others. There's nothing redeeming in you. Well, I know why the Lord put me here. Because the Lord knew with my background and my history, I could really minister to these people. No, there's nothing redeeming in you. Now, the Lord in his infinite wisdom puts the best puzzle pieces together. But he did not save any of us because there was anything redeemable in any of us. This has to be perfectly clear. He, he saved us as this mess, this mess of sin. I remember a, a story from many years ago when I was, I was a little kid. Um, Mom used to send us out to burn the trash all the time, and so we went out and burned the trash, and we lived out in the country, and I was a little bit of a pyromaniac, so you would burn the trash, but you would end up just playing with fire out there. So where our burn barrel was, our garden was right beside it, and so we, my sister uh, J.C. went out one time to burn the trash, and I don't know if J.C. remembers this or not, but we went out there, and um, we were burning the trash and just throwing things in and just playing with fire and there were all these squashes and gourds from the garden sitting right beside it. And they were, you know, fairly ripe stuff. So we decided let's throw some of those squashes and gourds in the fire and see what they do. Now, they were green off the vine, so obviously they don't burn. But as we threw them in there, they started popping and hissing. You know, if you ever threw something green into a fire, it doesn't burn, it just does that popping and hissing. Well, we were young, and so my sister Jacy yells out, they're dying, they're burning, we need to save them. So I stuck my hand in and started pulling out squashes and gourds into the fire because well lean not on your own understanding our wisdom was these little life creatures were dying horrible deaths right in front of us now we were probably 20 when this happened or something like that but the point is Jesus stuck his hand in the fire and pulled me out of hell I was some stupid little squash that just hissed and popped that brings nothing to the table and Jesus was willing to stick his hand in the fire And say, I want this guy. Now why? I still don't know. I want this guy. And he says, I want you and you and you. In fact, he says, I want them all. I'll take all six billion of them. But Jesus, some of them don't want you. That's okay. I'll still die for those that don't even want me. I'll still stick my hand in the fire and leave my hand in the fire waiting for their hand to touch my hand. And I'll take that suffering even though they don't want. That's what Christ did. Why? Why? So no flesh or glory in his presence, there's nothing redeemable in me, it's just love. See, now go to verse 30. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became for us, here's our word, wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. See, that word wisdom is then personified as Jesus. So back in Luke chapter 7 where it says wisdom is justified by our children, who is wisdom? Well, according to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, Jesus himself is wisdom. So what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and Sadducees is because I don't have to prove myself to you. My my children, the children of wisdom, their actions will prove who I am. And now 2000 years later, we are the children of wisdom proving who Jesus is by our light and our witness to all who we do we believe, what we say and what we do. But Jesus could have hung around here on the earth and said, "You know, the best way to save this world is just for me to stay." But he said no. I'm going to go up to heaven. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Then you guys get to be lights and witnesses for me. And so when you go out and live your life and I go out and live my life, we are justifying the actions of Jesus. That's why our lifestyle is so important. It's because what we do reflects on who Jesus is. Part of the reason why Christianity always gets a bad rap in the world is because there's a lot of people that claim to be Christians that sure aren't living the life. God says... Your actions, what you do, justify what I did on the cross. Boy, what a blessing that is to carry. But to be quite honest, what a burden that is to carry. But the joy of heaven of eternity. Bringing this now full circle. What made John the Baptist so great is he just wanted to point people towards Jesus. Hopefully what we want to do is that same mindset. I just want to point people towards Jesus. Keep it simple, folks. Don't allow the things of the world to drag you down. Don't allow the things of the world to pull you down. Just point people towards Jesus. You will get hurt. You will be wronged. You will have moments of doubt. God says, I will help you through all of that. I will be your sure foundation. Just keep pointing people to Christ. That's all that matters. can come forward here for the final song. As he's coming up, let's just pray. Lord, we all struggle. We all have doubt. We all have moments of just is this worth it. Lord, help us to see the big picture. Help us to lean not on our own understanding, to truly look towards you and all that we do and all that we say, The light in stream right Amen. Quick reminder, check out the Operation Christmas Child to the left back there. Uh, don't forget Potluck coming up next Sunday. Check that out there to the right. And lots of upcoming events. Check.